Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Welcome to today's podcast episode. Um, we have a special episode today. I'm going to be answering some questions that people have sent in on things they want me to, uh, want to hear me talk about. So we've got five questions that we've curated and chosen for today's episode. So just give you an outline of what to expect today. Here are the questions. Number one, what practices do you use to identify agreements with evil quickly? I'm assuming this is like within yourself. Question two, how do I know if an emotion is mine? Oh my. Question three. How do you access the spirit of creativity? Nice. Question four. What do you do when the other person won't work towards reconciliation with you? Ooh, that's a good one. And number five. What is the difference between the knowledge of good and evil and the discerning of spirits? Oh, so we're just, you know, just nice and light content for the morning. Okay, let's get into it, shall we? Um, for the record, I haven't, like, sat through and, like, thought about all this yet, so this will be interesting. Um... Question one, what practices do you use to identify agreements with evil quickly? Again, I'm going to say this is assuming that this is about your own internal process rather than trying to identify agreements in other people's lives. That's a whole different subject, or a lot messier. I'm not talking about that. All right, so um, for the record, the answers I'm going to give you on all of these questions are Mike's opinion. Everyone say that after me. Ready? Mike's opinion. Thank you. <laughs> This is Mike's opinion. I'm not trying to represent anybody else when I say this. I'm not, like, teaching theology here. I just want to give you my perspective on this stuff. Okay, so what are some practices to help identify spiritual agreements or agreements with evil quickly? Um, yeah, I've got a few answers to this. One tool that I found to be helpful, just out of necessity and from practice, is I kind of take a step back from the emotion itself or the thought or the motivation or the desire and pay attention to the pattern of it. If this thing continues to like represent itself in multiple ways, like in multiple different aspects of my life, like in a given moment, then I know this is not just a specific need or desire confined to a certain outcome. It's something else trying to find expression, right? So for example, let's say... Um, I want to like scroll through Instagram and then Facebook and then I want to like flip through Netflix and then I wanted to try and find whatever books I have on my shelf and then I want to text people and then I want to play a game on my phone. Like let's say that impulse shows up like with six times in the span of three minutes or whatever, right? Like I'm noticing a pattern here where it's not about a show on Netflix. It's not about a certain thing I wanted to post on my Instagram or it's not about, you know, like a certain game I wanted to play. It was about me looking for some kind of something to distract me, to flood my brain or whatever, right? If I notice that pattern crossing over into other different things, it's not about any specific outcome. It's more about um, an operation, if you will. I'm like, okay, this is not about me trying to get something that I want. This is about 
some need trying to get met and or like some problem trying to get buried or masked and to me that feels like a pretty quick like um agreement is probably the wrong word because that would mean that something has already been decided but it looks like that's a strong place where temptation is participating in my experience and it's i'm being sold or like offered proposals of solutions to potentially pain that i'm experiencing or thoughts or feelings i don't want to feel um or avoiding things that i don't want to have to like put my hands to right that stuff can come in to be a nice little like uh, drug to numb me out, right? Not just me, obviously. This is true for a lot of us. Like, it's there's so much distraction in our culture today. If I'm noticing that pattern, I'm like, oh, this is not about any one of those things. It's about something else that has nothing to do with any of that. It's starting underneath me, right? That's one way to recognize that. And that applies to relationships as well. If I notice I'm getting angry with four different people throughout the day, it's probably not about necessarily any one of those certain situations or relationships it might be that i just didn't get enough sleep or that i'm actually agreeing with something in my life right or if like three or four different things are stressing me out and causing anxiety in my life in a given day and that's not normal for me right like when i start seeing these kinds of patterns so observing patterns i guess is one of the tools observing patterns if you're writing taking notes like write that one down when i start seeing the thing bleed into other scenarios or circumstances and it's not unique to any one specific thing I'm like okay there's actually a broader thing going on here that often can be the symptom of a spirit actually trying to influence your experience, right? Um, so like anxiety can be a spirit and it could be influencing the way you perceive or experience anything in your life. It's the weirdest thing. If you say yes to anxiety, it can touch a blessing from the Lord and cause you to like be stressed out about it, <laughs> to hate it, to despise it, right? Which is such a distortion. Um, so observing patterns is one very safe, like quick... Um, I'm quick is probably not the right word. Uh, to me, it feels like a pretty simple safeguard to pay attention to. If you just can pay attention to patterns and keep track of that stuff, it helps triangulate things and give you a grid for something that might be going on beyond any isolated situation or event. Um, so that's, I think, one that's super helpful for me. Another one is um, plumb lines. Uh, I think I did a teaching on this in my online coaching group for NUMA coaching. Uh, yeah, plumb lines is another tool that I use. Um, Actually, there's a part of this that I learned from Jason Valentin when he was talking about like counseling and pastoring people. Like, there's a plumb line that he uses logically, and I'm like, yeah, I, I was like, I do the same thing. We probably talk about it differently, but it's the same principle. When you know what your general state is or how your your emotions tend to sit in your life, you have a general like grid for your um, your natural what's the word I want temperament. Uh, you have like a temperature for what you tend to be like in general when you're doing well, you know, or when life is just at peace. That is a plumb line you want to return to and be mindful of so that if something happens, whether it's an actual event in your life that's hitting emotions or you step into an atmosphere or pick up somebody else's stuff that has nothing to do with your life and it derails what your normal is, that is another telltale sign that something else is going on. It doesn't mean it's always spiritual, right? Hopefully that's obvious, but... Sometimes it is. And so having a grid for what you, your normal is is super helpful to navigate when things get different or weird outside of your experience. And that's one of the things that's probably the most confusing about being a feeler, especially initially, is recognizing when what you're experiencing isn't you. It's not about what you've experienced or what's happening to you or what someone said. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about you picking up something that has nothing to do with you that is affecting the way you perceive and experience things in your life, right? So that's a spirit, that's atmospheres, other people's emotions, that kind of stuff. Um, 
So when you have a moment of clarity and self-awareness and you're at peace with the world, everything's going well, you're content and life is good and the sun is shining. I'm not saying like you believe that stuff. I'm saying, but I'm saying you feel it. You're aware of it and like you're in that place. You want to kind of take a mental snapshot, like stick a flag in the ground and be like, okay, this is normal. This is Mike at his best or in his normal state, right? And that shouldn't be an infrequent or an exceptional thing in our lives. It should be something we return to on a regular basis, okay? So you take a snapshot and you get nice and familiar with what that feels like. What are the details surrounding that experience? And then you just continue to acclimate yourself to that state, to that space, not to force it and not to make it a thing. We're not worshiping that, we're not pursuing it. We're aware of it when it is in effect so that when it gets derailed for whatever reason, we can recognize where the discrepancy is and it helps us have a grid for what's different and why. Okay, super helpful. That one takes work, it takes intentionality. Um, It takes like building a history and recognizing that. But if you do your due diligence and um, self-awareness is gonna be a huge, like a key part of this, you'll have this plumb line to work with for the rest of your life in all the scenarios. And so there are times where I'm in the middle of a, a conflict in a relationship and I can recognize when there's something going on here that has nothing to do with me because I know what me is, right? Or when I know that there's something going on here that I you know, wouldn't normally bring here, but it, it's happening anyway and it seems like it's my responsibility, I can then look at like, okay, that's not me normally, it's not the other person, so clearly I'm bringing this to the table, where is that coming from? And it helps me have a, a pretty quick grid for where to start looking, right? Um, so I think the plumb line thing is also super helpful. And for the sake of time, I'm gonna keep that there, but you guys, um, observing patterns and plumb lines, super helpful practical tools on how to keep track of your emotional state and recognize ag- agreements you have in your life that might take effect whether you meant for them to or not. All right, moving on to the next question. How do I know if an emotion is mine? Oh, gosh. I mean, I guess that's kind of related to the first one. It's a great question. Oh, it's a challenging question because <laughs> understanding what our emotions are is such a subjective experience. It's so personal, you know? Um, and the way I relate to my emotions is going to be different than how the person next to me does. We obviously all have like a similar, uh, similar baseline. We all like, generally experience like as common, but then when we deviate from that path and go on our unique journey, like things start to get really specific and nuanced. So I'm gonna try to open up some of my process in this. Um, One of the things that made me recognize that I was experiencing emotions that weren't mine was when I would have a reaction to a comment or a circumstance or a situation or a detail that came up that stuck out, like deviated from how I would normally respond to something like that. For example, I might generally love seeing a certain kind of movie or going to a certain kind of restaurant or whatever. And then if that detail comes up and I feel strongly against it and I logically know and can reference and remember, no, I actually feel positively about the thing. So I'm being objective about this, right? Like, yeah, there's something going on here that I don't think is me because I actually feel positively about this thing. So why do I hate that restaurant or why do I hate this person talking to me or whatever, right? When there's that kind of a discrepancy, um, that to me is a, a sign that this might not actually be what I'm experiencing. I'm picking up something else. It doesn't mean that's the case, right? So you guys, one of the things that I despised about the feeler community in the environment that I'm in was a lot of people seem to be victims to their emotions and they're pretty emotionally irresponsible. They, they talked about their emotions as if, as if they weren't their fault or they didn't have responsibility for that stuff and they always tried to blame it on somebody else. Always is too strong. Often, they would try to blame it on somebody else, some something else to justify why they're going through this little fit. And I didn't like that because it came across as really passive and 
yeah, irresponsible and I just couldn't embrace that as a value in my life, right? Um, so once I got past my offense and judging these people and started recognizing how tumultuous and up- upheaval, how much of an upheaval that can be, I was like, well, I, get, I, get, I think I can get where they're coming from. I don't think some of those conclusions are appropriate, but like I can identify with the experience. So anyway, um, another thing that really sticks out to me when I'm recognizing that I might be experiencing an emotion that isn't mine is a sharp change in mood when it's drastic and out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Again, you have to realize like your mind is going to like logically, naturally try and correlate the feeling you have to a detail you, you've experienced or whatever. And you, without further examination, you might just accept that maybe you're just mad at this person or maybe you didn't eat enough lunch today or whatever. And sometimes that might actually be the problem. But there are other times where actually your mood shifted, not because you didn't eat enough or not because that person's upsetting, but because you're experiencing something going on in an atmosphere or because someone is particularly experiencing the thing that you're picking up and it's not yours. And so that drastic shift, the mood shift, um, I like to call it a slip sometimes when it just slips and it like jaggedly changes. That's another like obvious like sign to me, like something else is going on. I want to pay attention to that. And so um, again, the self-awareness piece here is super helpful, almost essential to being able to navigate these things. Um, but when it shifts quickly, that's another way to recognize like, yeah, this is probably not me. Um, uh, and then also one thing that I think helps me recognize that it, it probably is mine. This isn't like a safeguard. I'm just letting you in on my process. If I experience a strong, especially a negative emotion, and I'm immediately trying to blame somebody, something else or someone else for why I feel this way, I'm like, yeah, this is probably not someone else's. I'm already trying to justify or cover myself on why I'm feeling this thing, which means it's likely mine and I just don't want to have to admit it. I don't want to embrace the humility it's going to take to look at the thing or the responsibility or whatever. And so to me in my process, I'm not saying this is true for everybody, but for me, I've noticed if that's my propensity, if that's my motive, I just immediately want to like pin it on something or someone else. I'm like, "Mm, this is probably my emotion. (laughs) You know what I mean? I don't have that kind of ownership over things that aren't mine. So if I don't know where something came from and I have no idea why it's there and I'm gladly willing to express it and I'm not trying to defend myself, that's another telltale sign for me that this is probably not mine, right? That I'm not picking this up from my life. Um, So like, I think hopefully that stuff's helpful, but that's like some stuff that I know that I go through to help pinpoint where things are coming from or their origin or why. Um, Hopefully that's helpful. Um, I hope I'm not stirring up more questions than (laughs) providing answers. How do you access the spirit of creativity? Yeah, this one's a little lighter, right? Um, that's a great question. I love talking about this um, because it's such a fascinating aspect of how we participate in a creative endeavor. We all naturally are connected to the spirit of creativity. It is the nature of the Lord. He's created by nature, and because we are made in His image and we're His, we're in His likeness. We're His offspring. We're His kids. We naturally also are naturally related to creativity. So I know there's some people who identify as not being very creative. That's disobedience. That's That needs to be repented of. No human being is not creative. That creativity might show itself in different ways, in unique expressions, in ways that might not have been a pra- like praised by other people or might not be dramatic or obvious, but it doesn't mean that creativity isn't there. So we want to recognize that creativity is a spirit, okay? And so um, when we understand that creativity is a flow from the nature of the Lord and that does come with inspiration and clarity and guidance, um, we can then start to change the way we experience that whole process and open ourselves up to further influence from what he's 
expressing what he wants to do through us and as us, right? So um, there are some practical things we can do to stimulate um, being sensitive to creativity. And some of that, like, let's just start with the one obvious one. I think a lot of people who maybe even vocationally are creative by nature, like artists, um, writers, that kind of thing. In some ways, I think a lot of them would advocate for forcing their creativity and not forcing in the truest sense of the word, but kind of going through some motions and practices and just willing yourself through some you know, format or whatever to get some juices flowing, if you will, to the point where at some point you actually end up connecting to creativity and then it starts to flow. I knew, I know I am probably for about a year and a half. I committed to myself. I don't know why. And I didn't say this out loud to a ton of people. It wasn't this public thing, but I committed to myself that I was going to write a post on Instagram every day for a long time. It was over a year. And I couldn't fall asleep that night until I wrote it. And so I would sometimes stay up till one in the morning because I was writing something out and I would wrestle. And sometimes it would take me about an hour to write a single Instagram post. Sometimes it would happen in five minutes. Like it depended, right? Um, But I didn't accept, I just didn't feel it tonight as a reason not to write something. And so I forced myself, I willed myself to continue to interact with the material. I would Sometimes if I didn't um, have anything to write with, I would sit there and just let my, I had some practices. One of them was, I'm going to open myself up to any ideas. And if a word comes to my mind, or like, you know what? It's more like this. I'm going to let a word come to my mind. I will see a word. And whatever word I have or whatever phrase that comes to me, I'm going to write it. And then from there, I will write. And so I did. And I would just write out a sentence in it or like a phrase or something. And it didn't necessarily make sense by itself. I didn't have a connection to where that was coming from or what it meant or where it was going to go. Even I had no idea, right? But out of a resolve and a trust to this process, I would write the thing down. And then from there, whatever it triggered in me, whatever I responded to with it, I would just start writing. And sometimes something would come out of it and then I'd end up going back over and editing stuff. I might even erase the original line that got me to write the thing in the first place. It might not have ever made it into the final cut. But because I pulled and followed at that thread, things came out that I did want, that were creative, that did have spirit on them. And that is what I ended up sharing. And I didn't always erase the original. Sometimes the original sentence didn't make any sense. It was like, it was strange. And you'd read it like, what is this about? And as you keep going, it would end in a very different place. And I left it in there because it just felt precious to me in my creative process. But that was one thing that I found to be super helpful for me in tapping into creativity when it came to writing was I would just let a a word or a phrase come, I'd write it down, and then wrestle with the word or phrase. And I might have to erase what I had written three or four or five, maybe six times before something finally stuck and then I found this groove. And I can't, I don't know how to explain this, but at some point you hit this stride, like something just starts to click and flow and you just keep up and all you're doing basically at that point is trying to interpret what you're picking up, you know what I mean? Um, I think a lot of what I do in my writing and communication is I feel like an interpreter. I'm literally just trying to find English for what's coming to me in the spirit, right? And just trying to find language and words to convey what I'm connected to, to people in a way that they can understand it. So it's something that will appeal to and resonate with their minds or their hearts, you know? I'm less trying to get them to have an experience and more trying to just convey clarity to a source that I'm tapped into, right? Um, and so one thing we want to be aware of in a creative process, and I'm going to talk about that, the writing part of this mostly because that's mostly where my creativity, creativity comes into play, probably writing and then like building systems and structure or like businesses, I guess. Like those are probably the two main creative aspects of my like outlets that I have right now. Um, probably. I apologize to anybody if I'm not including something that is obviously creative and something I do a lot and you're partnered with me and I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so when you recognize that there's a place in the spirit, if you will, uh, there's a, 
like a vein from the heart of the Lord that is that we'll call creativity that flows. When you align with that thing and you agree with it, whether it's from words you type or brush strokes or dance moves or whatever, however it is you're expressing, like agreeing with where that's coming from, it will continue to release and inspire and clarify what it is that's actually coming through you. And we get to bring intelligence and form and expression and uniqueness to that display, which is so beautiful. It's part of why all of us are so diverse and you know, there's so many of us. Like God is so multifaceted and complex and multi-layered. He's deep and gosh, just there's so much to him. And each of us is a unique expression of his nature, which is fascinating and crazy. And so we have a unique thing to put into that expression that the Lord wants to be part of it. We're not, he's not trying to get past us. He wants us to come through as part of the expression because he's a good dad and he loves us. And the whole point of this is he wanted to play. He wants us to be part of it, you know? So anyway, um, I don't know if I'm answering the question. Let me refresh myself to make sure that I'm doing this right. <laughs> How do you access the spirit of creativity? Yeah, so there's some practical things that you can do. Um, word, or like uh, exercises, whether it's writing or drawing or painting or sculpting or whatever. Whatever kind of creative expression we're going after. There are practices in place in each industry. You can Google that stuff. Um, but I think my main answer to that is, by and large, you want to be submissive and susceptible to an influence from the spirit where creativity gets to come and express things to you that you don't just judge or dismiss or con- um, condemn, and you're willing to be open to that stuff and follow it. It takes childlikeness and humility to express that stuff. I know when I have like creative circles and people are supposed to be putting ideas on the table, I'm like, okay, what else? Let's throw some stuff out there. And I, I'm intentional about not making fun of or mocking or condemning their s- submissions. And sometimes what they say is crazy. I'm like, that's or like ridiculous, like it's not helpful, or it's not good right away. But we don't say that. We want to protect that space and just let whatever comes come. And then somewhere along the way, something clicks, and all of a sudden, like the thing grabs you and starts dragging you down the rest of the road. Like, whoa, this is it, you know? And like has a life of its own. That's so exciting, and I think very common. Like in a lot of things that I engage with from a creative process, I keep going till I find the thing that catches and pulls me. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's the thing. You know what I mean? And sometimes it sounds crazy. It doesn't sound super whatever, and I have to like kind of contend for it with people that I work with. I'm like, okay, I think this is the thing. Like, that doesn't sound like the thing. I, here's the reason why I don't think that's great. I'm like, yeah, I think it is though. And we have to like wrestle it out. And sometimes I'll let it go. And other times I'm like, no, this is it, right? And we follow it. And there's definitely like a, a dance to the thing. But I think my answer to that, by and large, the best thing I'm going to say to that is you want to learn how to embrace an authentic and refined sense of susceptibility, of submission to something higher than you. Uh, the Lord is expressing himself. And if you'll like humble yourself to meet him in that place, he'll tell you things and he'll inspire you and move you. And it's powerful. Okay. Question number four, what do you do when the other person won't work towards reconciliation with you? So this is assuming there's a conflict. There's been a disconnect in the relationship. There's fighting or whatever. And the other person, like, let's say you come to them and you're like, Hey, I would like to fix this. I'm sorry. How do we reconcile? Can we make this right? Let's say the other person for whatever reason, doesn't want it. Like, yeah, I'm done. I don't want to talk to you. Or they just ignore you or they're mad and they lash out or whatever. And they don't give you a chance to actually make things right, which is so painful. I've had that happen a few times and it is not fun. I hate it. It just, it's like heart wrenching, right? Especially if you care about the person. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, we'll talk about this later. All right. So if that happens, like, what do you do? I guess is the question. Um, one of the things we need to be mindful of when it comes to reconciliation and just managing our relationships is we want to, we don't want to subject the nature of our relationship with somebody to our judgment or what we want to have happen. 
if we let that be the motive, then we have to, we eventually inevitably tap into manipulation or coercion or intimidation to get results because we don't have control over their will. So we'll tap into some other stuff to try and change their will. So we don't want to impose what we want from a relationship on somebody else. Okay. I don't care what relationship it is. You don't want to do that. Um, we get to propose, we get to invite, we get to offer and suggest and cast vision for something. But when you start like coercing or manipulating somebody to get on board with where you want to go, it's not a good deal. You start tapping into some bad stuff and it's not fun. It doesn't feel good. And anyway, so when it comes to there's now a problem and that person doesn't want to reconcile, what we want to be mindful of is we don't want to impose, even on this state where there's conflict and we're not connected, we don't want to impose reconciliation on the relationship, even though that's what we want. If that person doesn't want it, what are you going to do? Coerce them? Manipulate them? Strong on them? You know, like, I guess you could do that. It's just not great. Um, so living from that principle, if someone doesn't want to reconcile with you, uh, I would continue to do my everything I could to try and find a way for it to, like, to be mended. If they still refuse, and I've done everything that I know to do, then at that point, I am going to release the relationship to God. I'm going to let the Lord take this thing and carry it. And I'm going to relieve myself of a false sense of responsibility to have to make this right. I'm not going to wall my heart off. I'm not going to get cold. I'm not going to like hold a grudge against them. Hopefully we know by now like that will ruin your life. Um, I'm going to release them. I'm going to do whatever work I need to do with my, in my heart with the Lord to, um, have a genuine desire for that person to be well, to be taken care of, for their dreams to come true, to bless them, right? I want that to be the heart posture. That's the nature of the Lord and how he sees them, right? So I'm going to let him expose who they are to me in that way. And knowing I might not ever get to reconcile there, um, I have to release them from that demand. Sometimes people are driven for reconciliation because they feel too guilty and they just want to fix the problem so they can not feel self-conscious or anxious or afraid or like they're going to be punished or whatever. But that motive is selfish in nature. It's not love that's compelling us to reconnect. It's selfishness. It's, I actually just want to change how I feel. I don't care how you're being affected by this. Be right with me so I can deal with my emotions. So I don't have to be in prison anymore. That's never appropriate. That's not a reason. It's not a good reason to reconcile with somebody. The reason we reconcile is because of love, because we see the devastation of the disconnect and especially like how we might have potentially harmed that person or, you know, contributed to chaos or problems in their life. And we want to clean it up, not because of our reputation, not because of how they're going to think about us or because we're afraid of them punishing us, but because we care for them and we want them to be taken care of. Right. So that coming from that place, if they don't want to reconcile, love respects that recognizes it and patiently waits. And some of us just don't have the resilience or the, the character, I think that's probably the honest word. Like we don't have the character for this, but um, I have some people in my life who have cut me out. Like they don't want to reconcile and I did what I could and they still aren't interested. My heart, heart posture toward them is I'm ready. And let's say years down, and some of them it's been years already. Let's say years down the road, something happens, something changes for whatever reason. And then they come back to me like, Hey, you know what? Sorry for all that time. I would love to connect or whatever. If they're like up for it, I'll be like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Because the pride, the arrogance, the ego, the agenda has been lost. It's legitimately not there. And so I'm not holding a grudge. And I'm actually like ready to be reconciled if slash when they're ready for it, even if it's not on my timetable, right? And that's not something that I came up with. It's something that I've experienced in the Lord. And so he's kind of produced that in me. And I'm super grateful. Um, it makes you empowered and feel safe in the process. But um, 
yeah, that willingness is there and I'm not going to force it. I'm going to respond. Right. And so I'm open to it and I'm, my heart is postured in that way, but, uh, the agenda is missing. It's more a responsive, like care and, um, a submission to value for connection there. Okay. Hopefully that helps. Last question. What is the difference between the knowledge of good and evil and the discerning of spirits? Oh my God. Listen, this could get really long and complicated, so we're not going to go there. I'm going to keep this one. I think we're running out of time. I'll be as simple and brief as I can on this. Um, the difference between the knowledge of good and evil and discerning of spirits is there are a few answers to that, but, um, gosh. <laughs> um, the knowledge of good and evil has to do with the similarity is they both have to do with judgment. Okay. Passing judgment on something and deciding that something is right or wrong, good or evil, right? The knowledge of good and evil typically has to do with judging someone's character someone's worthiness, um, the validity, significance, whatever. Like the knowledge of good and evil is going to start measuring all this stuff and coming to conclusions and will lend toward performance or pride or um, deception even, like tapping into some weird stuff to try and get to a certain outcome. We're going to contrast that with the gift of discerning of spirits. That gift is designed to to determine the nature of something. So to separate in the spirit what is and is not happening or what all is happening. It might be multiple things, right? And so looking at what is good and what's evil and being able to tell the difference. And it's not about deciding that this person's worthy of love or not. We don't go there. The gift doesn't do that. It simply separates, hey, this thing going on here is twisted and perverse. This thing here though is beautiful and right and good and then with the gift you're then able to recognize okay we don't accept or celebrate that thing but we do protect and embrace this thing and so in relationship especially that can get complicated if you don't have understanding on it but if you can recognize and separate what's at play your decisions become a lot simpler and then we just simply get to have the guts to let whatever sacrifice needs to happen for us to rightly relate to the things the lord has instituted without um tipping her hat or bowing to evil in the process, right? So the gift of discerning of spirits separates, distinguish, distinguishes, makes a distinction between the source, origin, and nature of a thing in the spirit. The knowledge of good and evil is tapping into passing judgment on whether something is right or wrong, good or bad. And then from that place, I then get to make decisions, chiefly void of dependence on the Lord. The knowledge of good and evil is looking for a way for us to not have to depend on him for us to not have to need him, for him not to have to clarify stuff or lead us, that we can just do it on our own. We've ascertained the resource and the connection and the you know, the help that we need apart from God to be able to drive things on our own. It's rebellion, it's orphanhood, you know what I mean? It leads to those things. And so um, the knowledge of good and evil <laughs> marries us to the law. It forces us to have to past judgment on stuff that we don't have grace for. The gift of discernment helps us recognize the nature of those things and to be able to choose life and say no to death. Uh, I know there's way more that could be said here, but for the sake of time, I'm going to leave it alone. Thank you guys for checking out this podcast. Um, if you could give us a, a review, that'd be awesome. A five out of five is a big win for us. Please don't fake it. But yeah, if that's in your heart and it's, that's authentic, we'd love that. Um, so be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We'll see you in the next episode. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.